This is Katie Prejean McGrady, and this is Ave Explores. There are two types of saints in the church. Capital S, saints, the canonized saints that we recognize through the process of canonization. We have an episode about that process coming next week in this Ave Explorer series. And then we've got the small S saints, the people who are not canonized, but who we recognize on the, the big feast day, right? All Saints Day on November 1st, which includes all those who are in heaven worshiping God eternally. And it's, it's this really cool thing to try to wrap our heads around the idea that the communion of saints is not just the familiar names that you and I know and often go through and recite and name our kids after, but also is made up of, of people's grandmothers, of people's children, of, of that really, really holy man who went to daily mass every single day and sat in the same spot and prayed the same rosary beads over and over again. And while he may or may not have done anything uh, necessarily uh, heroic by the standards of, say, the canonization process, lived a life of heroic faith even still in that everyday normalcy of, of living his faith. I'm, of course, thinking of an individual, of a person who died a few years ago that I, I deeply believe um, will have the opportunity, if not already, to one day be in the presence of God eternally. Right, The communion of saints, capital S and lowercase s, saints, is something that we can't not pay attention to. It's a double negative, right? So we have to pay attention to it because it's such a critically important part of our faith. You know, in my, my daughter's bedroom, Rose Elizabeth, my daughter is named for three people, St. Rose of Lima, her patron saint, Rose, my grandmother, and Elizabeth, my grandmother. And I have this picture of my grandma Rose and my grandma Libby, as we called her, sitting side by side on a couch at Christmas. They're not looking at the camera. In fact, they, they both look like they're looking down either to open a present um, or, or to you know be looking at a magazine or something. This is in the early 90s, so you know they're not staring at their phones. And it's just, it's not even a, a professionally staged or particularly well-colored photo. Um, it's just a, a snapshot of my two grandmothers for whom my daughter is named. And it's framed, and it's hanging on the wall of her bedroom. And I put it there with the express intention of, of hoping one day she would ask me, and that day has since come and passed, ask me, who are they? And I could tell her, well, that's your grandma Rose, and that's your grandma Libby. And... We pray for them, and we hope that they have the chance and the opportunity to pray for us. When we think about the communion of saints, we think about the capital S saints, the, the Thereses of Lisieux, the Theresas of Calcutta, the John Paul II's. We also get to think of the people who lived their faithful lives and will never necessarily have the cause for canonization opened for them, but yet are in heaven as a saint themselves. Today, we have the chance to talk to a mom and a dad, Mary and Jerry Lindeberg, two people I love very dearly, about the saint that they raised, their daughter, Courtney. We had Mary on the show um, a few months back for a Lent episode when we did our, our little Lenten miniseries, and she shared the story of Courtney in that episode. 
but we wanted to bring her and Jerry on together to talk about their faith and their family and what it was like to not only raise a daughter who had profound disabilities, and you'll hear that story, but what it did within the course of their family life to strengthen their faith, to test their marriage, but to also give them a glimpse and an insight into the kingdom of of God, of heaven on earth. And of now knowing that Courtney, who with her profound disabilities, could not necessarily have, have committed a sin through reason, right? That Courtney in her death would have gone to be with God in heaven and therefore is one of those lowercase s saints like we're talking about. This story, right, the saint of their family, Saint Courtney, lowercase s, Saint Courtney, is one that um, is profoundly moving. Uh, to hear them talk about their daughter, to hear them share the story of, of Courtney's joy, of Courtney's laugh, of, of her excitement for life, even in, in her, her, um, her challenges with her health. Mary and Jerry then sharing, of course, how today they still feel a closeness to her, still feel her presence in their lives and in their family, and even um, have brought other people into the experience of Courtney's life and even in her death and in now her victory in Christ Jesus. I think it's important at the beginning of this season to share this perspective of the community of saints to help people recognize and understand that we're not just talking about the icons on the wall or the stained glass windows in the church. We're talking about the church universal and the church triumphant. And that encompasses so many people. And truthfully, how profound and how cool to think about the fact that that communion of saints is so big, that the people cheering us on are are people that we have perhaps encountered and met and known and loved in this life, and so therefore they know and love us in their eternal life. I don't know about you, but that kind of blows my mind. All of this really does. And if this, this idea of talking about the saints fascinates you and you want to learn more, I'd encourage you to click on over to iTheMariaPress.com and sign up for all of the content for this saints series. It's completely free. Just sign up with your email. You get an email for four weeks with articles and videos and podcast episodes and other really cool things that can help you unpack and explore the communion of saints, how we're a part of it, how we are engaged in it, how they're cheering us on, and how we even sometimes have saints within our own family. That's what we're talking about today with Mary and Jerry Lineberg. So without further ado, a saint in the family. Mary, Jerry, which I just love to say, thank you all for joining us on Ave Explorers. Thank you for Thanks. having us. <laughs> you can say more, Jerry. You can The grouchy historian persona can... Yeah, I, okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> wow. This is going to be great. Yeah, you know. <laughs> He's just going to sit there and kind of nod, and Mary's going to answer all my I questions. Good word in edgewise. So. Oh, oh, there's the challenge. Ooh, all right. Okay, the gauntlet's been go. thrown. Well, Jerry, let me ask your first question. Mary's been on our show before. Okay. Um, she is a repeat guest, which means that she got good downloads the first time. We don't bring them back <laughs> unless they were good. Oh, is that like a 2020 thing? Oh, baby, you get good downloads. Oh, there you go. <laughs> well, yeah. so, Jerry, who are you sitting next to a well-known Ave author, um, besides just at the grouchy historian on Instagram. I'm the Insta husband. So you're like I'm the accessory in Mary's Insta stories and other Instagram <laughs> things. So I'm like arm candy. Wow. Yeah, okay. Very yeah. confident too. Yeah, yeah, um, okay. Yeah. So who are you? Like, what do you do? My name's Jerry. <laughs> I am the grouchy historian. What do I do? 
Well, you work for in, in I, government contracting, I, I, of which I, we cannot I, discuss. I oh, I did, I've always wondered. Part <laughs> yeah. of me thinks you're a CIA agent, and not, we're just not allowed to talk about it. But wink, wink, nudge, no, <laughs> We don't talk about it. <laughs> First rule of the job is you don't talk about the job. Don't Got talk it. About it. Got it. What else do you do? So uh, let's see. So my primary job is uh, we're both, we both do youth ministry. Mm-hmm. My job is to be the enforcer. Yes. So when teenage boys, as they are wont to do, are doing something less than intelligent, I just sort of do this. They yeah. can't see you. It's a podcast. I know. It's a podcast. <laughs> I know, but, but we're getting the look. I, yeah. I give them this look. Yeah. And I go, do you really think that's a wise choice? And they go, um, no, Mr. Lindbergh. No, Good. Sir. Make another one. Make another one. Yeah. So that is, that is my job. I'm the enforcer of mm-hmm. youth ministry. And um, yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> And you yeah. teach, you teach history. Yes. Yes, I do I teach history on the, on the inter, on interwebs sometimes. <laughs> yeah. He's got a great homeschooling following. So yes, I've got my own YouTube channel now. Everybody asked for AP videos. So I have AP videos up for history and government. So, um, yeah. And then I work for her. <laughs> Instagrams. Yeah. You're the, you're the husband. I'm the IT guy. Yes, you are. Most assuredly the IT guy. Yes. I love it. I love it. And Mary, we know who you are, but let's reintroduce you to the listeners. Oh, I'm Mary Lenneberg. I'm Jerry's wife and uh, happy to be so. Wait, um, is that, I would, thought I was your husband. You weren't my wife. That's I'm usually, your wife. That's <laughs> Actually, we're both just Courtney's parents. Pretty much. There you go. Well, yeah. I mean, the episode is going to be named for her. So we got to yeah. Yeah. So we, yeah. We're still not used to our names being Mary and Jerry because typically it was Courtney's dad and Courtney's mom and then Courtney's older brother. So for <laughs> us to actually say that we're Mary and Jerry is kind of a unique place to be. But um, yeah, no, we've been married for 32 years. We have four souls, two that are in heaven uh that we didn't get to hold and then our son jonathan will be 31 in november we got married at like 16 just to be clear yeah like, there you we go. really really young go for that yeah we're and very then, young and then our daughter courtney went home to god when she was 22 so um yeah we've been through a lot but you know god is good and he redeems and restores and renews and and laughs all along the way so we're trying to do the same well now let's um you know you've already brought her up let's dig into the Lenneberg story so you've got four children, and I love how you say two souls in heaven. We, we did a, a Facebook Live in our last series on Catholic family life about, you know, miscarriage and loss and grief, and it was wonderful. Um, but you've also experienced the kind of the other side of grief and loss with your daughter, Courtney. So tell us Courtney's story. Um, it's a little out of order of what I told you with the show flow, but, you know, the Holy Spirit guides these things anyway. Yes, so, so tell us about St. Courtney. Tell us about Courtney. Okay, I'll give you the short version. (laughs) So our daughter, Courtney, um, passed away in 2014. As Mary said, she she was 22 years old. Um, She was born uh, with a normal labor and delivery, which Mary likes to point out to everybody. because Five hours. That's the first thing you have to lead off with. It was great. Um, Five hours? Oh, that's a dream. Five hours is beautiful. That's quick. (laughs) Jonathan took 36, Courtney took five. It was great. Yeah, so uh, at five weeks old, five, five. Um, during her baptism, she had the first of what would turn out to be a daily series of grand mal seizures for the rest of her life. Mm-hmm. Um, she, um, we went through all the medical things. We don't have nearly enough time to cover those. And it, yeah. Um, so for most of her life, um, for the, until the end of her life, her uh, official diagnosis, this is the greatest medical speak ever, was mm-hmm 
global seizure disorder origin unknown. That's mm -hmm. really an expensive way of saying we have no clue. Have yeah. Yeah. Um, and when she was seven months old, we gave her a medication to help her. We thought would help her and her brain swelled and she became blind and most of her disability stemmed from that medical intervention. So needless to say, it was not an easy journey for any of us. So um, until the day she died, she was about, uh, she was the, about the developmental age of a nine month old. Mm -hmm. um, although she was, uh, you know, five feet, four inches tall, that's like the biggest nine month old ever. <laughs> um, so she was uh, basically totally dependent upon us. She didn't walk, uh, she couldn't really feed herself. She could drink a sippy cup like a champ as long as she could drink a sippy cup, but yeah. after a while, she could not do that. When anymore. she was about uh, 20, 20. We, uh, she started, um, she had always aspirated, but at that point, the seizures had disrupted the electrical pattern in the brain so often that she lost her ability to kind of swallow thin liquids. So she went, um, she had from the time she was in 2000, how old was she? She was eight years old eight. when she got a G tube. Mm -hmm. And so she was G tube fed um, for. Um, the remainder of her life, you know, right. various and various degrees. Basically, for 22 years, we lived in a mobile ICU unit. She would stop breathing when she would have seizures. We had a suction machine. We had the EMTs on call. We knew every single person in um, firehouses, firehouses for a five mile radius. radius, you know, of our home and of her school where she attended to receive physical and occupational therapy, as well as um, just to be around other people and have some quality of life that was. Um, close to being typical for what she could do. So she was medically fragile and profoundly disabled. Um, and yet she was hysterically funny, spicy as all get out. She had opinions. Um, she was very much um, a child of her father as in her life was ruled by her stomach. Oh, so well, when yeah, she, that's true. <laughs> when she came close to dinner time, like you knew, there was no being late. She got hangry. Yes. Oh. We'll just call it what it was. She yeah. got angry. She would kick her wheelchair. Mm -hmm. She would start she would roar, sound like roaring Chewbacca. at you. Yeah. And you Chewbacca would, would show up. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and then you, when you would start feeding her, she would practically eat the spoon. Yeah. She was like a little bird. She would just <laughs> Her favorite thing was pumpkin pie, uh, mm -hmm. chocolate uh, pudding, and mashed potatoes and, gre uh, and green beans. Not all together, thankfully. Oh, that was, that was yeah, gross. But anyways, yeah. Not a fan of peas. Not a fan of peas. Didn't as, like most, as most people are not. Yeah. Um, she would kick off her shoes, typically at church. She would usually pitch it at about three aisles back. She had um, a really good backswing yeah. with the leg. And she would hit somebody with it. We were always so grateful when it was an adult because they were very <laughs> understanding. But every once in a while, she got a toddler, and that didn't end well. So, um, you know, we learned to put laced shoes on her instead of any kind of slip-on High shoe. tops. We wore a lot of high, high tops. tops. Yeah, to mm -hmm. keep it on there because she couldn't quite get her foot out of that. So we figured out. It only took us about 12 years to figure that out, but yeah. we did. We got there eventually. Yeah. But um, no, she was she was the heart of our home. Um, we were a team. You know, we still are a team, but it looks different now. Um, her brother, um, you know, treated her like any other sibling. Um, Courtney would wait until we would walk by for her to kick him in the shins. Um, and she would just start laughing and he would be so annoyed. And I remember one time he was about 12 and he looked at her and he goes, you're just darn lucky you're in that wheelchair because if you weren't, buddy, you know, and I came in and I said, what's going on? And he goes, Courtney and I are just talking. We're just talking. I'm like, all right. Actually, then. one time he tried to blame a broken lamp on her. He which did. Which was pretty good. He was seven. He, he was seven, the broke the lamp, and he said, Courtney did it. 
And I told him, I said, we needed to call pastor, uh, pastor Father Arquette, because, you know, a miracle had happened in our house. Well, no, we need to alert the and bishop. We need to alert the bishop. So, you know, I went to get the phone because we knew what had happened. He comes running after me. No, 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 you can't do that. You can't lie to a priest. And I said, but you can lie to your mother. No, I'm sorry. And then he cried and he went to confession the next Saturday. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm very excellent good at Catholic, Catholic guilt, guilt yeah. moment. Oh yeah, I mean that's like the first skill I think you learn after you have a Catholic baby. <laughs> it's yeah. like by osmosis, right? You have the yeah. kid now. You can guilt them. Gift of the Holy Spirit, pretty much. Yeah. Catholic yeah. guilt. Yeah. yeah, she. Um, you know, she pretty much everything was. You know, I don't want to say everything was about Courtney, but everything was about caring for Courtney. Mm-hmm. In that, um, you know, it was a lot of isolation. It was a lot of alone time for myself. Anything that we thought, you know, as far as um, our careers or what we had hoped to do when we were first married, you know, everything had changed. Perspective completely changed. And so that, you know, took a toll on our marriage. A lot of things happened. Um, Addiction surfaced in our marriage and we had to deal with those and it took a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, But I have to say, and we didn't give up on each other and we didn't give up on God. He certainly never gave up on us. But, um, you know, we, there's a statistic that I think it's like now like 82% of all families that have a child with disability end in divorce, 82%. Mm-hmm. So we've come to this place six years after her death where we understand the miracle of our life. We mm-hmm. understand the miracle of our marriage and we are um, daily deeply grateful, wouldn't you say? Yes. That we're still here. Yes. And he's still cute and I like him and he likes me and <laughs> Jonathan's okay. You know, hopefully one day he'll be married and grandchildren we leave off oh no so i have a question so like yeah, i mean awesome. you so eight that 82 percent statistic is is it's terrifying quite frankly um and this is not part of our catholic family life series but i want to dig into a second uh how so parenting a medically challenging child is you you mentioned the isolation you mentioned the addiction um i'm sure that it, it takes a toll on a marriage in parenting a medically challenging child in in a situation where you feel utterly alone what happened to your faith in all of that like where where was God because like some people would say like now like years later like oh he was right there with us on the cross but come on that's bs like in the middle of it like yeah he is but I realized that I did write a whole book on it Um, I'm I'm getting to that but no 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 I, I we kicked him out of the house let's just be very clear here in the beginning of our marriage I was raised a Catholic. Jerry was a convert mm. and he had no interest in becoming a Catholic. We were married how many years when we became a Catholic? 11? 11. 11 years. Mm. So in the first decade of our marriage, um, he was active duty in the Navy. He was gone. He was mm. on deployment. I was alone a lot. And I did the rote things I knew to do. I did go to mass um, because I was raised by nuns. And if you don't go to mass, you go to hell. And you and, didn't want to tell your mother you weren't going to mass. And I didn't want to tell my mother I wasn't going to mass because I didn't want to be hot and therefore, and then deal with my mother. We just weren't going to do that. So, um, so I did the rote things, but I wasn't praying. Um, I would kind of step in and out of like a neighborhood Bible study kind of thing, more for the companionship than for what we were doing. Um, and as far as, you know, you were, for Jerry, I don't know. I think... For you, it was just, uh, it was all about control. You had nothing that you could control. Hmm. No. Which for a dad is hard. Because like, that's your job. Yes. Yes, it, it is still my is. job. It still is. It still is. <laughs> <laughs> but um, do you want to expand on that? What happened and how you dealt with it? What that? Your lack of control. I didn't deal with it well. Yeah. Okay, there you go. Wow. 
Jerry, okay. to the point. Um, <laughs> no, yeah, we, and our marriage was, crum- it was crumbling. We were in big trouble. And, um, and really, I think, what would you say would be the, I mean, Lords for us, that, yeah. that was the changing point. That was right. a, that was a pivotal moment. But even before then, you went, you went to Lords. We went to Lords. Yes. Oh, wow. we were in the opportunity to go to Lords on a healing pilgrimage with Courtney. Mm-hmm. And I would say about a year before that in 1999 is when Jerry came into the church. Now, in 1998 was when Jonathan had a, it was really Jonathan that, that drove him to the church. And yes, don't our kids always drag us to the church? It's our children yeah, that get us there. Amen. So, you want to tell the story of Jonathan in the parking lot? Oh, so this is classic Jonathan moment. <laughs> yes. So he says, so we're walking. It's right after mass. We're walking out of mass. He's like, dad, why don't you go up and receive Jesus? And I said, well, I'm Lutheran. I'm not Protestant. that's the real presence and he's like so i decide because he's my son i'm going to give him a little theology of lutheranism so i start to expound upon that and of course in typical jonathan fashion when he doesn't like the answer he stomps his foot and he says dad why don't you want want uh want the eucharist that's jesus he loves you why don't you love him and i kind of went in the middle of the parking lot, changing between the 11 a.m. mass and the 12:30, which is kind of like uh, you know Daytona 500. Pretty right. much. So um, then the Holy Spirit in that moment shut my mouth, which <laughs> is it a, very it's often. a miracle. <laughs> but he shut my mouth, and I just took Courtney to the car, and I was like, "That is not a conversation I'm going to have." But um, on the way home, Jonathan just he had received communion, I guess, a year or two before, and he just kept repeating his saint, you know, his, his catechism, As you know, he is. but dad, we're here to know him, love him. And I know it's him. like the whole Baltimore catechism was recited out. to me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, thanks dude. And, um, but yeah, but what happened a week later, he starts RCIA. So it worked um, and it, it worked. worked. Yeah. <laughs> Holy spirit really worked. Mm. And then, so a year later he came into the church and he chose St. Thomas Aquinas as his confirmation saint. Makes sense. <laughs> yes, it does. Um, and, and then, um, we found ourselves in, in May of 2000 in Lords with Courtney. And, uh, it was very surreal for both of us. I'd never, ever experienced anything that Catholic. Like the most Catholic place I've ever mm. Yes. I mean, Disneyland. it was like Catholic yeah. Disneyland. One year yeah. in the church, I'm like, he, he, is every place like this? Yeah. I'm like, no, not every place. Not, no. Places. But we had an experience there with Courtney in the water that Our Lady really um, showed up. And, uh, you know, we had prayed and Jonathan had prayed in the innocence of his prayer. And um, we had very specific answers to prayer happen while we were there. And one of which was our desire, which we had never told anyone that Courtney received the sacraments. And um, we just didn't think it was possible because she didn't speak. She was blind. There was no way to know. Did she understand that this was the real presence? And um, and so something happened to her in the water that we talk about in the book, Be Brave and the Scared. And um, basically the bishop we were traveling with was like, as we told him the story of what happened, he said, you you know, when does she receive her communion? I said, Father, she, you know, Bishop, she can't receive her communion for all of the reasons I just stated. And he said, but don't you think she knows exactly where she is and Mm. who our lady is and who Jesus is? And I said, well, yeah, but I'm her mother and I'm really biased when it comes to what I think Courtney knows and doesn't know, even though she can't speak it. Um, And he said something very profound, which we have taken throughout the rest of our life and will continue until we're home with him. (coughs) And that was that um, when he, 
the bishop we were with was one of Mother Teresa's confessors when she came to the United States. And she taught him that um, if a person cannot speak, look to their body for they, their body will speak to you for what they need to say, because she dealt with so many that couldn't speak that were, that, you know, were in so many different abilities and disabilities. And so what Courtney had done was physically demonstrated that she knew about the presence of our lady. And she knew that where she was and what was happening and so um, Bishop Curlin was his name. He has since passed on, and I'm sure enjoying a great time in heaven with Courtney, mm-hmm. I hope, um, said, why, why would we ever refuse her the sacrament? So she received her first communion in Lourdes, France, mm. in a dress made, you know, in Paris, a little bit better than how her parents were dressed, but, you know. I didn't wear a dress. Just no, we didn't. Just <laughs> we didn't. But, um, yeah. But and that's like a Catholic that, Disney princess. That's incredible. She did. And the, inter- the most beautiful part of that, I mean, all of that is beautiful, but it was a direct answer to Jonathan's prayer. Mm. And Jonathan had, had asked God as a 10-year-old little boy that Courtney do something that all the other people were doing. Can she just do something, Lord, that everybody does? And so when we called him to say... He said, mom, she did it first. And I had forgotten in that conversation that the next Sunday when we got home was Mother's Day, which is our traditional First Communion Sunday. Mm. And Courtney was seven, which is the age that we receive it. So Courtney, had she been a typical child, would have been receiving her First Communion. Mm. But we were in France and she received it a week before her peers did. So he remembers that. And that has been a lesson in his life, a gift from the Holy Spirit, that very specific answer to prayer. But um, yeah, it challenged every part of our life. It challenged, uh, what we thought we were supposed to be doing as parents. It challenged who we are as people, um, what the dignity of a person really means, what that is. Mm-hmm. Um, and it still impacts us and will continue to, I think for the remainder of our lives. Right. Cause like, you know, we're hearing this story, we're meeting Courtney in your words, Many people know her from your Instagram video. I mean, the laughing video is one of my favorites when you post it and share it. It always brightens my day. Um, but she's not gone to y'all. I mean, she's still very much in your home. She's still very much a part of your life. I know her shoes are in your living room. Yeah. Um, I, I just, I saw that recently. Sorry, that was That's, kind of- No, no, they've they been there for six years. They're there. Um, and her, her little- um, Naval Academy hat because her dad mm-hmm. went to the academy. So that was her son hat that hangs there. Um, no, she's a part of every single day of our lives and she mm-hmm. will be until the end of her life, uh, mm-hmm. our, our life. And, and, you know, I'm sure her brother will pass her story on to, uh, one day if God so blesses him, his wife, beauty of the legacy of love that Courtney left behind, um, astounds us every single day mm-hmm. and who she had brought to the church without ever saying a word or, you know, taking a step is astounding. We, we pray for her intercession like every day. I talk to my daughter every single day. Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, I wake up, I'm like, court, I'm just not really not feeling it today, but I got to do X, Y, and Z. So can you maybe just provide a little extra? How about you with court? Oh yeah. We, we pray to court a lot. Um, she is particularly good with plumbing issues when, <laughs> when we're like, Court, you know, we just had this like huge plumbing thing that I have no idea how we're going to pay for. Can you help us out? And yes, she does. And uh, a lot of people, uh, what's the wildest one? Who was the? 
Oh, well, there was one. A lot of Courtney stories about people who yeah. prayed for Courtney's intercession, and we warned them. It's like, be careful what you ask for. Because she doesn't mess around. Because she doesn't mess around. She and I are going to have a conversation when this is over. There was a family in Connecticut that really felt God was calling them to buy this farm. And so the one thing about the farm was the septic tank. They couldn't afford to replace the septic tank and buy the farm. Mm. And so they wrote a letter um, to the family and asked if they would consider replacing the septic tank before they brought the farm. And then they did a novena, the Divine Mercy novena, and they asked for Courtney's intercession because septic tanks, it's a plumbing issue. So, um, and on the ninth day of their novena, um, the family called them back and said, we will replace the septic tank. And um, so now in a farm in Connecticut, there is a wildflower field that has a little plaque with Courtney's name on it mm. that goes over a septic tank. And um, they have that farm and there's a picture of our daughter in their kitchen. Wow. They, and she intercedes for them all the time. There are, we get emails every day. There are babies coming into the world that were conceived after four, five, six, seven years mm. of infertility that um, when we offer Courtney's prayer um, stocking, which I know we'll talk about at Advent time, um, that was an intention they put in two, three years ago. And now they're getting ready to have their, those babies. I mean, um, we've had, um, I remember my friend Kendra was giving birth and she ended up having a home birth by mistake because the baby came too quickly and she asked Courtney's intercession and Courtney, you know, she felt physically her presence. I've had other women, um, tell me that as well. So, um, that's the beauty of the communion of saints. Mm -hmm. You know, we have the the heavy hitters like JP two and mother Teresa and St. Therese and St. Augustine. And then we've got the shortstops, you know, like Courtney and my dad. Shortstop. She's a shortstop. She's out, yeah, you know. Yeah. In the gap. Yeah. The gap. Is that how baseball works? I don't and know. Yeah. Don't you know baseball? <laughs> it's you back. Know. <laughs> no, you're a football guy. Got it. Anyway, so, yeah, um, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's mm-hmm. how God weaves the story of our life and our children's life and their legacy and our legacy and he weaves it all together and he doesn't waste anything he never wasted one moment of her suffering he didn't waste one moment of our suffering um and who knows where he's going to take the future i have no idea i mean i love that the concept of the communion of saints you know we we think big s saint capital s icons we wear their medals we name our kids after them but then there's the familial saints, the family of saints. I mean, Courtney has no reason to not be in heaven. She's received the sacraments. She was baptized. She did not have the capacity to sin. So she's there, right? Like she's, yeah. the formula's there. And then you as a family get to, I mean, you've got, I, I don't even know and how to say, you've job, got someone up there. She's floating on a cloud. <laughs> we talk about it all the time that our sure. job as parents yeah, is to you did it. to heaven. I'm like 50, 50, 50%, right. 50% there. No pressure, Jonathan, but like, seriously, yeah, yeah, he, come on. He, he, hates when we do that. he hates it when we do that. He's Very like, small. no need to remind me. Yes. No. <laughs> the standard small. has been set. Well, so, so you mentioned, I mean, Courtney, that's what we do with saints. We don't just like hang their pictures. Like we invite them no. into our families. She was in your family and now she's doing the Therese thing. She's spending her heaven doing good on earth. Um, tell me a little bit about this tradition that you'll have with the stocking and the prayer stocking and and sharing Courtney with the world every year during Advent. Well, when she, you know, she passed away on December 27th, 2014. So that's the Feast of St. John the Beloved. And so that last ad- Advent, 
we spent the last four to five, four months, four months of four her months. life. We really, I had a blog, um, we had an Instagram, Facebook. And we was really, it anticipated? Like it was, you knew it, something? Well, it was, yeah. She kind of came to a place where she was no longer absorbing her food. I mean, we had tried, we, we literally can say that we have done everything we could do. Mm-hmm. And the doctors just brought us in, in September of 2014. And they sat us down and they're like, there is nothing we can offer you. Um, I don't think it's going, you know, they told us to be prepared for a long wait for three to six months um, and that her body would just slowly, but surely, you know, obviously we kept feeding, we kept Mm -hmm, doing all of mm -hmm. the things, but it would just slowly, but surely her liver and her kidneys, they were tired. She was tired. And I remember praying early on in her life before Lords, before, you know, in the midst of the darkness, the really, really hard beginning um, that if God we're going to call her home, that he give us a sign, like a warning, like a, you just can't miss it. Because I wanted, one of my prayers was that she not be alone when she passed away. Mm-hmm. I remember my dad dying after 10 years of battling cancer from non-Hodgkin's lymphoma because he was exposed to Agent Orange during the Vietnam War. And I remember the last couple of weeks of his life and this one fear, if he had any fears, he was so ready to go to God, but he didn't want to die alone mm-hmm. because he was afraid that in that moment of weakness, he might give in to the pain and give in. And so my mother was very cognizant of that. And there was always someone with him, talking to him, encouraging him. Even when he was sleeping, we were there, we were praying over him. So I remember that, that stayed with me, you know, that lesson of my dad. And I wanted the same for Courtney. And so Jerry and I talked about it and the doctors were like, bring her home, do hospice. We'll support you and however we can support you. So when we brought her home, um, hospice means different things to different people. And so the first hospice team we brought in, they wanted to start giving her morphine. Well, there was no need for her to have morphine because she wasn't in pain. And so you had to quickly defend and advocate once again for her right to die a natural death, Hmm. which I didn't um, anticipate fighting that battle. Did you? Oh, I, yeah. You anticipated it? Jerry did. I didn't. That was a surprise to me. The realistic dad, yeah. Yes, you know, yeah. So we... we Well, hospice is normally intended for like, I mean, a lot of cases, it's terminal cancer patients, right? right? And right. they're in pain. Let's let's be realistic. They're in pain. Courtney was not. So we just kind of... Hit our own. Did our own thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. because, I mean, they didn't know what to do with her. She was a special needs child that was dying slowly. Mm-hmm. And there was no program. Um, so we made our we own We were program. pioneers. We, story <laughs> of our life. Pretty much. We've always been at the, the front of the spear there. Yeah. Um, but we shared it with the world. And things started happening like she was losing weight, but, you know, we, we had so much medical debt and, and things we had already almost declared bankruptcy twice in our, in our time with her. And so someone suggested, put up a list on Amazon of the softest pajamas of, you know, the wipes you like of all of those things and let people love you. Mm-hmm. And so we did, and we called them love bombs. And so for oh, uh, like six weeks, we ate for like, almost a year off of all of the frozen food that showed up over those six weeks. I mean, people just loved her. They Mm -hmm. couldn't, they couldn't do anything to stop what was coming. So they wanted um, in their way to help. Mm -hmm. And so here we entered into Advent, that last Advent. And the one thing Courtney could see was lights. When you darkened a room and you turned on a light, she would look toward the light. Mm -hmm. So her favorite thing in the world was Christmas lights. Mm -hmm. And we put bells along the bottom branches so she would kick the branch and hear the bells and giggle. Whenever she heard the bells at mass during the consecration, she giggled. Like to her, it was a sign that that God was coming, you know? And so um, 
we, we shared her with the world and drew people into our story and into her story. As you're hearing the story of the Lennebergs and their daughter, Courtney, um, I think you're probably thinking of people that you know who, who have given a profound witness of faith, and that's the saints, um, saints that we have named and canonized and saints that are part of our families. And to learn about all of that, I'd encourage you to go over to AveMariaPress.com and sign up for all of our Ave Explorers content on the communion of saints. And then the last three days, it was candles for Courtney. I'll never forget that. And everyone, there were hundreds of thousands of people all over the world that were praying my daughter home. And so when she took her last breath, it was the best day because I knew that my blind daughter who hadn't seen anybody's face in 22 years was going to open her eyes to Jesus. Mm. And it was the worst day because it was the last time we got to hold our daughter. And nobody prepares you for that. There is no preparation. It doesn't matter that we knew the day was coming. There's no preparation for that last breath mm-hmm. and for what comes in the next couple of days. Right. And um, so, you know, it was hard. And so the next year we made a decision that we wanted to redeem Advent in our house <laughs> and we wanted to do something that was powerful for court. And so um, we did not hang up her stocking. We typically decorate on on Thanksgiving. I have since I was a child. It's just our family tradition. And our son, Jonathan, got upset with us. And he's like, why aren't we hanging up her stocking? And I'm like, what's the purpose? Mm -hmm. And he said, but she's still here. And I said, well, what do you want to do with the stocking? What are we going to put in the stocking? And he goes, well, let's think about it, mom, you know, for the next 24 hours. So we did. And actually, it was Jerry's idea. So what do we do with the stocking? (laughs) Now you get, I know you're getting emotional, but. So because she had a blog so we said okay well people have always asked for, for her, her prayers for intercession so we'll put up on the blog and we'll just see this is her favorite phrase we'll just see who it's wants to respond with some prayer requests we okay. broke we broke the internet so <laughs> we had like a whole journal because mm-hmm. she would write them all down as they would come in through the comments or uh, emails, emails Instagram whatever. post, whatever. And then, and that was what we prayed for. Every night every we prayed night over that book. Through um, Advent. Through the Epiphany on January 6th, when the gift, when we offered the gift of those prayers back to the Lord and we burned them because that's what, you know, incense is burned. It's our prayers. It's a sign of our prayers going to God. Mm-hmm. So we burned it in, in the charcoal grill. Well, yeah, you know, the burger, (laughs) the burger, you know, um, but that's what we did that first. And we received such, um, an outpouring that I looked at Jerry and I was like, uh, should we do this next year? I don't know if we should do this (laughs) next year. And this is, you know, and it just kind of, that's what happened. So we have now done it. Uh, well, this will be our sixth year. So it's a way to honor her. It's a way to bring joy and light back into a season that is still difficult. I mean, yes, it's been six years and no, we don't wake up weeping in tears anymore. Um, but it's hard, you know, I think her birthday in August is harder because a birthday is all about hope and what's coming. Um, her, the day of her death and her heaven homecoming, as I call it, is more about, uh, for me, peace and relief mm-hmm. of her suffering. Mm-hmm. So it's just the way I think perspective, but yeah. So this year, we're, this year we're going to do it right. 
um, because I can't write that much. <laughs> we, we've already put together a Google Sheet. I was going to say, there's a way to do this with code. <laughs> yeah, you know, so we've already done that. We've got it ready for the, for the, it'll go up the first Sunday of Advent, but we already have people asking, you know, are yeah. you going to do stocking this year? I've, and, I've so, submitted a prayer request. I mean, did. yeah. You did. And there are many. And what's beautiful is when they come back, because I don't always remember them, of course, but when they come back around and they tell you, or they'll send you a picture of the positive mm-hmm. pregnancy test, or they'll say that their husband is in recovery for a, an addiction, or that their son or daughter, you know, is healed of some illness. And, you know, will the church ever make Courtney a saint with a capital S? Um, I doubt it because there's no way to know what her writings were, you know, typically with the saint, you have to have something, mm-hmm. but, um, that doesn't, it doesn't matter. There's so many small S's, you know, mm-hmm. that are, um, rejoicing with her. And yeah. so our goal is now to join her in that small S community one the day. Small S squad. The small S squad. The small S squad. I like that. That might be what we named the episode to intrigue yeah. people. Small S squad. I mean, there's so there's yeah. so much here about the communion of saints and the family of saints and the family that you you know you raise your children in and and who you want to be as mom and dad and and even I mean non parents listening to this yeah. thinking about the relationships that they have with people that. No, you can it, you can touch heaven with certain people in life, and it sounds like Courtney was the kind of person that that did that and is now there. Touch heaven in life. That's that's good. excellent, and that's true. She really drew people to God. I remember when we would be in the hospital, and she would be in the IC and ICU, and it was dire. It was always dire. It was very dramatic with Courtney in the hospital. <laughs> right, it's dire. <laughs> Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. And I would put it out there. Could you just pray? You know, um, I would get direct messages or texts from people, complete strangers, weren't Catholic, weren't even Christian. I remember one from a woman who was a Buddhist and she said, I don't even know how to pray. I know how to meditate because I'm a Buddhist, but I am so in love with your daughter and, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to go to a church and I'm going to light a candle for her. Mm. And she sent me a photograph of her lighting a candle by the statue of St. Joseph, who my dad is Joseph and is one of the patrons of our family. And so um, this Buddhist walked into a Catholic church and lit a candle. Isn't that a, starts a joke? So this Buddhist walks right, into a Catholic right, church. Right, right. Only yeah. Courtney could do that. Oh, only I, Courtney you know, could do that, true. I mean, atheists who, who argued, you know, does God exist? Um, you know, this suffering, mm-hmm. uh, you know, why would you believe in a God when she's suffering so much? It gave an opportunity for them to understand this beautiful gift that we as Catholics have called redemptive suffering, mm-hmm. to be able to walk alongside someone um, and, and be a Simon of Cyrene, to literally put your shoulder under that cross and bear the weight of that suffering mm-hmm. for someone else. Um, the power of that, she taught us that. Mm-hmm. She taught us that. And yeah. It, it's still a part of our daily life. I mean, and that's the saints, right? That's the story of, of saints in life lead people to Jesus as they're walking along that path uh, that we could keep going. Um, and people should pick up your book and people should follow you both on Instagram to continue to hear and see this story. Um, my question kind of at the end of every episode this season is who are the saints in your life that have been kind of your part of your squad? Like they're the ones that have the cloud pom-poms and they're cheering you on and you've been close to them and then of course the second question (laughs) you'd be surprised though i mean he probably eats them like cotton candy let's be real but 
but so you've got your you've got your saintly squad and then the flip side who do you want to get to know better especially in this weird year that is 2020 oh 2020 okay so i i go straight to the top i because we um our lady of sorrows Mm -hmm. that particular um veneration is very very close to me and i call her our lady of sorrows cause of my joy Mm. because I have lost a child. I know what it is to have your heart pierced. Um, And when you look at the seven piercings along the way, I can identify with most of them. Mm -hmm. And you can't have Easter Sunday without Good Friday. Mm -hmm. So it's it's the beginning of the end for me. It's the beginning of the joy, you know? And so I consider her my go-to. I'm getting to know more of. Um, I chose my confirmation saint, St. Rose of Lima, because I love the name Rose and I knew nothing about her. And the more I get to know about her, really? the more I did. A, I did. Wow. It was very good Catholic. The funny thing, thing is, is that she chose that name to hide her real name. So it's even that's kind of right. perfect, right? <laughs> that's right. And so I wow. love that name. And um, she chose me. That's what I've come to understand. And you want to talk about a woman who suffered beautifully, was physically beautiful and, you know, spiritually beautiful. And yet her whole life uh, was drawn outside of where she wanted to be. She was never comfortable out being known. And yet God kept drawing her out. And I thought, oh, I get it now. Okay. We're, you know. And she was the patroness of, um, of seamstresses, which I love to sew. So, yeah, I was like, lace makers. I love lace. It's pretty. So, uh, so lately the go-to has been St. Joseph. Like, I think we've done a couple of St. Joseph's novenas. The 30-day novena. Those are powerful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, because, you know, he's the example of, of Christian fatherhood, and that's always something that I'm working on. We'll just call it. And now, of course, um, yeah. Who do you want to get to know better? Oh, um, hmm. And that is an interesting question. I think this year we might uh, start getting to know um, St. Augustine a little better. Mm, there you go. Yeah. He was, um, he was the man. <laughs> he was a man, yes. He was no, a man. He, he was Just a man. good starting point. He was a guy. He was a dumb man. <laughs> you wrote some books. Confession, <laughs> City of God, and all the things. Yeah. What dropped you to him? Um... Well, you know, he's 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 a very conflicted guy. I mean, he 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 did not start out as a saint, mm-hmm. no. Um, and his you know mother prayed him into sainthood, so you know, yeah. And but he became he had possibilities, right? Yeah. So, if, so do I self identify? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, there's always <laughs> possibilities. That, there's got you know, possibilities. There's got possibilities. You know? That's kind of when our son our son Jonathan was choosing his confirmation saint. He, he chose St. Paul. And so when the pre, uh, Father Greenhall, who was our pastor at the time, um, asked him, why did you choose St. Paul? He said, um, well, look what God did with him. You know, he was a murderer and then he totally restored and redeemed his life. So I got a shot. <laughs> like, Very practical, my son. A murderer <laughs> like, in front of St. Peter's. There's right. lots of room in there. I'm I love thinking it. he's a lot like his dad. I don't know. Very <laughs> yeah, maybe. Right. No, no mystics. No mystics. No, no none mystics. of that. No, that's a little scary. I don't you got to be concrete and straightforward. I love it. Yeah. Well, Mary and Jerry, where can we find out more about what you guys are doing? Follow your work. Well, on Instagram, we tend to spend most of our time there. So I'm under Mary Lenneberg, M A R Y L E N A 
B-U-R-G, if I can spell my own name. Hey, and then you got that part. Jerry's under grouchy underscore historian, and that describes his personality. Yes. So, um, yeah. We'll link those both right. down in the show notes, of course. So, well, thank you both for, for coming on the show. It's always a delight. We'll, we'll, get, we'll signal boost you for sure. Thank signal you, Katie. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> yes. I think it's safe to say that Courtney was probably so full of joy because her parents are even in the midst of hardship and struggle they were able to um, cling to and, and stay close to the cross which is a source of joy even in the suffering um, to find out more about the Linnebergs to, to see what they're working on and what they've created and what they're producing and to hear more about their story you can of course follow them all of those links are down in the show notes as well as get Mary's book Be Brave and the Scared um, and you know, I, I we hung up the phone, the conversation ended, and I kind of took a, a step back. I leaned back in my chair, and I thought about all of the incredible things that they said about the communion of saints, again, capital S and little s. But even more than that, how the people in our lives that we are close to, the people who we walk this road with, the people who we lose and the people who we love and the people who we hopefully stay close to, even in losing them, that there is a... Um, an attachment to, a closeness to, a connection to heaven. Uh, just a few weeks ago, when my husband and my daughter and I evacuated for Hurricane Laura, we went to my grandmother and my grandfather's house. My grandmother passed away in June, and it was very strange being there without her, um, but yet at the same time could feel her presence there and knew that, that she was with us in some ethereal and, and almost eternal way. There's this idea within our Catholicism, this truth within our faith, that the dead, those who have gone to their eternal reward, whom we pray for and, and who we ask to pray for us, that we are not isolated and disconnected from them, that they're not in some other universe that we can't somehow be close to. I think the story of Mary and Jerry Lindenberg is one that shows us that we can remain close to those whom we love who are now close to the Lord, as close as one can possibly be. This is the story of the saints, and this is what we're unpacking and exploring in this Ave Explorer series. And I hope that you go over to AveMariaPress.com and sign up for all of the emails, get all of the content. I hope that you keep listening to this season. We've got some great things coming up, including two new episodes next week with Doug Took and Maria Johnson, as well as a Facebook Live conversation with Lisa and Kevin Cotter about relics and the family saints that they have adopted. So I, uh, again, I hope that you sign up for everything so you don't miss any of the content. Go to AveMariaPress.com, click the link up at the top of the page, sign up, and explore with us. Thanks for listening this week. We'll see you soon.